KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. After President Biden declared the end of the COVID 19 public health emergency, he also ended Title 42, an emergency policy restricting immigration into the U.S. And surprisingly, while new policies were enacted to stop people from flocking to the border, there's not been a floodgate of lots of people. One why could be money. It just takes a lot of money to leave your country. Fernando Chang Moy is a lecturer of law at the University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School, where he teaches a course, Refugee Law and Policy. He says that even though some politicians argue that immigrants are stealing American jobs, as a country, we should be able to acknowledge all the benefits of immigrant workers. Let's break it down and talk about are immigrants really detracting or are they bringing in benefits, their arms, their hands, their brains? I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we talk about the process of immigration in the United States, how removing Title 42 affects immigration policy, and how the U.S. as a whole benefits from immigration. Can you give us a quick definition of what Title 42 was, what Title 42 is? I think it is something people have heard on newscasts, referenced, saw the headlines, but didn't quite understand what it did. What was Title 42? All of our laws are in titles, social security laws, tax laws, immigration law, and public health law. For example, in Title VIII, that's anything to do with immigration. And on down to Title 42, that's our set of laws that deal with public health or social welfare and a little bit of civil rights. And Title 42, like all other titles, have sections. And Section 265 deals with not letting people in and expelling people out in times of public health emergencies. So during the previous administration, it used Title 42, that's a law, and Section 265 to stop people from coming in because of COVID. And that was lifted, I believe it was May 11th, as we're talking here in early June, it was last month. The new President Biden said the pandemic we think is over. So that Section 265 of Title 42, which deals with public health, is no longer a reason to stop people from coming into the border. So there was a lot of concern that once this was lifted, that the southern border specifically would be overrun. And it seems like that is not the case. We will talk about the the why later. But were these concerns legitimate or was this political posturing from the Republican Party? So it could have been a little bit of both. The Biden administration wanted to gear up in case where word spread that this thing called Title 42 is no longer going to be used as a bar. So it could have been just getting gearing up to make sure that we were not barraged with people. And it could have been a bit of fear mongering on the part of anybody who's afraid of immigrants and, and refugees. I really can't tell you, but it could have been a, a bit of both as to the rollout and the fear that our southern border would be overrun. We saw this in the 1990s when um, civil war erupted yet again in three countries in Central America, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala, and then people started fleeing, coming up through Mexico and getting coming into Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. And there the government set up what we would call in other countries refugee camps, and they were run by the Red Cross. So maybe the, the Biden administration was anticipating and in uh, this field that I'm in, refugee refugee law, we have a word called early warning. See a trickle of 10 people, then a trickle of 20, then a lot. That's an early warning that there might be more people coming. 
So let's set up tents, let's set up beds, let's set up latrines to try to help people who are fleeing because of floods or civil war or civil unrest. The lifting of Title 42, it put a lot of other things either back in place or in place. So this was kind of always framed as, well, this is going away and then people can come in. But it seems to me in researching this, there were other things that were put in place that had been suspended because of Title 42 from an enforcement standpoint, no? Right. Absolutely. So maybe to mitigate the fear that the border would be overrun by Central Americans fleeing persecution from their government or others, new things were put in place and other things were put back in place. So detention. So word spread that if you come in without the right paper, which is code word for passport and visa, you will be put in prison. A new thing that was put in place was if you travel from, say, Honduras and you start your trek up north, you need to apply for asylum in the countries that you pass through. So you need to apply for asylum in El Salvador, or you need to apply for asylum in Guatemala or Mexico and show us that you lost before you try to come into the United States. New thing number three was if you want to come into the States and tell us your story of why you were afraid to be sent back home, you need to make an appointment. And you need to make the appointment through, the, through your phone. Everybody has a phone. We've heard that the, the app crashes, but nevertheless, people are trying to follow the, the rule. They're applying for asylum in Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, knowing full well that those countries don't have the capacity, just don't have the infrastructure, but nevertheless, they try. And if that fails, and now they're in Mexico, they apply for an appointment using the app that has been marketed throughout Central America, that you need to make an appointment. So it's not a, a crazy, you know, just come in. Another new thing that was put in place, it's an executive order. Executive orders are not laws. They're not regulations. They're like the president mm-hmm. can make executive orders, and presidents have always made executive orders. And one of them is, again, to mitigate the craziness or floods, President Biden issued an executive order that said, if you are from these three countries, someone here can file an affidavit to prove that they can support you, and you can come in. If you are from Venezuela, Cuba, or Nicaragua, someone here in Miami, New York, Philadelphia, can file a piece of paper and say, if you come into the country, they will be financially liable for you. The fourth country was Haiti. So again, anticipating that maybe Cubans would leave Cuba, go to South America, Panama, then walk up into Mexico, then walk up into the border, the Biden administration issued an executive order saying, no, stay in your countries, but if you know someone who can sponsor you, They can fill out this paperwork, pay a fee, and then we will let you come in. So it's like immigration light, L-I-T-E, or refugee light, so that you don't have to tell your whole story. Maybe we can get into what's the process for applying for asylum or refugee status. But that's a new thing that was put in place, again, to stop people from amassing at the border and taking up space and making parking lots in northern parts of Mexican towns into ad hoc refugee camps. And that app, I think, is that the CBP-1? CBP-1 is the the app. Yes. So you go to CBP-1, you follow the instructions, and you make an appointment so that when you get to the border, you will then be called, cross the bridge, and tell your story. So it's orderly. And we've done this during the Vietnam War, something known as ODP, the Orderly Departure Program. And we're trying to institute same orderliness now with technology 
We need to take a break. We will have more with Fernando Chang Moy right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School's Fernando Chang Moy. From everything you've described here, by no means is this perfect, but this actually seems like government kind of working, like seeing a serious problem and the app. I've read reports and I think it's glitchy and I, but the fact that there does seem to be a decrease and word is getting out of how things work like it ain't perfect but it's better than what it was. Absolutely. Again the problem are the glitches and the problem is just humanity. Yeah. Like I'm leaving with my spouse and my kids. I want a better life. Guatemala won't take me. El Salvador won't take me. Mexico won't take me. Let me see if the United States will take me. Anyway, putting morality aside, it seems that all these things that the Biden administration is putting in place is trying to help the anticipation of floodgates happening. So the, the applying for an appointment to the website, letting people from four hot countries who might have been waiting in the parking lot in Mexico is a way to mitigate, saying, and the word has filtered down, that if you try to come in without an appointment, without a passport, Without visa, you will be put in prison. These things seem to be working. These are sh- short-term band-aids. Mm-hmm. We could talk about later some macro-political things that we could all do. The United Nations, the Organization of American States, Spain, the former colonial power of all Central America and South America. There's not been a floodgate of lots of people. One why could be money. It just takes a lot of money to leave your country. And actually, the P- I was in Honduras in um, March during law school spring break. And we learned that it's between five to six to seven thousand dollars, depending on how many people and depending on the menu. So if you want a bus to take you to the border, if you want a bus plus two nights at a hotel, if you want a a bus plus snacks plus meals plus hotel for someone to guide you in quotation marks, that all costs money. And actually, it's middle and middle income and lower middle income people who who need to have the money to make this real poor people do not have the money to pay a coyote. The really high-income people are also leaving Honduras, for example, but where are they going? The women are going to Spain on a two-week vacation, again in quotes. On day 16, you do not board the plane and come back. You stay in Spain and you find work. And this, we are told, the Spanish government knows this is happening, but they need human resources. They need women to clean the bedpans of older Spaniards. They need busboys. They need people to pick olives and their olive trees in Spain. And then the men are the ones who are coming up north to do landscaping in our southern border and agricultural work, since we can't find enough U.S. citizens to do agricultural work. And I would imagine, I think you referenced this earlier, word gets out that you're going to be in prison if you don't do it right. That's a deterrent for a lot of people. And just the 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 threat of the hammer of that deterrent, I would imagine a lot of people that maybe have some sort of other options or are saying, okay, let's, we'll do it this way sure. or we'll go somewhere else. Yes, the threat of being put in jail is a deterrent, but I will say, let's go back to World War II. You are German, you are Jewish, and somebody says, don't try to leave Germany and don't try to go to the United Kingdom because you might be put in jail. Well, the German Jew is going to do a balancing test and say, F you, thank you for the information. But I'm going to try to leave Germany, cross the border, get on a train, and get to the United Kingdom or Scotland or Wales. Same thing with Hondurans. 
thank you for giving me information that I might be put in jail if I leave Honduras. But staying here with gangs, with I'm a woman, my spouse is abusing me, the government isn't doing anything, and taking the risk of trying to leave, and even though I know I might be put in jail, I'm going to take that risk. So yes, the word has spread that you will be put in jail if you try to come in without papers, a passport, or an appointment. But sometimes people will nevertheless do that because their life is just so miserable. You will hear people complain about people not coming in the proper way, you know, with the finger. Well, if they should, if they want to come here, there are ways to come in. But then you dig into the ways people can come in legally and you hear about these backlogs of three years and stuff like that. So we act like these people should just have the capacity to sit around and wait for three years and wait for the phone call that it is what it is like. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, if you're trying to come in. And chances are, if you're trying to come in to the U.S., it's because you are fleeing catastrophic circumstances at home. So when you look at U.S. immigration policy overall, what are the biggest problems facing our immigration system, and why is it so screwed up? You hit one of the problems, you hit the nail on the head, is backlogs. We follow the principle that close relatives are what matters. For example, if I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to sponsor my brother, the waiting period is about five to six years. But as to four or five other countries, India, China, the Philippines, the waiting period is like 12, 15 to 20 years. So there's a backlog. Why is there a backlog? Because we allot 40,000 visas or green cards every year to each category. So if, my, if I sponsored my mother and she's person 40,001, she goes to the bottom of the pile and in three, four, or five years, she will go to the top of the pile, and then she will be allowed to join me. The second way that people can come in is through employment. So I am the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. I need a nurse. We don't have enough nurses getting a, ma- a bachelor's in nursing. So I need to go in and bring Miss Lopez from the Philippines because they speak English. They're trained in the same way, so they come in. There's also a backlog. So if we get rid of the backlogs and maybe expand the numbers each, maybe more people would come in and there would be no need for people to try to come in without papers, sneaking in for the southern border or sneaking into the northern borders through through Canada. A third reason people might want to come to the United States because they fear persecution. Persecution is, is a big word. It could mean torture. It could mean not being allowed to go to school, to practice my faith, to say what I think about. Fidel Castro, Mao Zedong, who's dead, because if I open my mouth, I will be killed. And so people leave. The long-term solution is for that, which isn't going to happen, I think, in my lifetime, is fix the problem at home. Go to the root cause. If Nazis don't exist, Jews won't leave Germany. If the dictator in Nicaragua is not there, people will not leave. But that, that's a long-term fix. And so problems are backlogs. Problems are issues in countries of origin, and the way we can fix them is to raise the backlogs, maybe, and to try to work with other governments and other international organizations to make life better for people in those countries so that they don't have to leave, so that they don't then come in here and ask for asylum. By the way, I should say, though, that those people who who leave, it's to the detriment of their countries, but to the benefit of ours. People who have the, to use a nice Yiddish word, the chutzpah, to leave. They have the energy, they have the brains, they have the wherewithal, they want a better life. They'll bust their butts to work at the Marriott as janitors, to open up a small grocery store. They'll do whatever they can. And we want those people. They're doing work that 
U.S. citizens may not want to do. Kennet Square, which is a few miles from here, which is the mushroom capital of the world, U.S. citizens are not picking mushrooms. It's Mexicans mainly. And at some point, there were Vietnamese people who were working in our mushroom factories. So it's their country's loss, but it's our gain because they're doing work that we need to have done. When you boil it down, I think the country gets so much more in immigration than we pay for. Like we get experience, we get energy, we get, you know, generations of people. And it would seem to me it would be such in the U.S. national interest to get this right, to get the immigration system right. But it also seems specifically on the American right, immigration is such a powerful political tool that the fear mongering, it energizes their base. Because you see in Florida where they've had a lot of strict immigrations, and I just read a story where some Republican lawmakers held a meeting with some immigrant groups and said, don't, don't tell your, your members, don't tell your peoples and their families not to come because we really need them. So everybody understands how important, but there's so much political hay to be made. We kind of find ourselves in where if we were being adults about this and being realistic, we, would ha- we could have this streamlined and we'd all be in better shape, no? Absolutely. Also, you need to segment the country. Who is picking artichokes in Southern California? Who's picking tomatoes in Florida? Who's picking apples in Vermont? I am not, and you are not. And so who is doing the work that we, nobody wants to take? So we need to just segment the country and the agricultural, the tech field, the medical field, the teaching field, and see where are the needs. And let's break it down and talk about are immigrants really detracting or are they bringing in benefits, their arms, their hands, their, their brains? It's the summer. Go to Six Flags. Who is running the hot dog stands? Who is opening the merry-go-rounds? It's young temporary workers coming in from Bulgaria, Eastern Europe, who are coming in on what is known as a, a J exchange scholar visa because our own young teenagers are not getting up in the morning to work at Six Flags. So fear of the immigrant on the one hand, but we need the foreign labor on the other. And so come on, bring in people and offer work, either temporary or permanent, to ply their trade and to work on their skills. So if I'm a farmer from Honduras, let me work on a farm in North Dakota because we don't have enough arms. We don't have enough labor. And so it's, it's very conflictive, and I just don't understand it because there's a perception that, per, and maybe rightly so, though I'm not an economist, that immigrants are taking our jobs away. But someone needs to do more heavy duty, and I know there are. There's folks at Harvard and folks at Penn who are doing um, research on the intersection of employment and migration. And we see that there are jobs that are going, employers are looking mm-hmm. for people to work in their businesses because we just can't find enough U.S. citizens to fill those positions. And you see the lengths that some places are going because all of a sudden now we're seeing literally like child labor laws loosen. You know, people are want 14-year-olds to be able to serve alcohol. We're doing all this acting as if there isn't another option of people that want to come here, that want to be a part of America, that will will work hard, but instead we're trying to make it easier for a 13-year-old to work till 2 in the morning. Like, it doesn't make rational sense, and the only, the the stick in the mud is, you know, fear of immigrants, is demonization, it's racism, when if you can get past that, 
so many problems can be solved and we'd all be so much richer. And I don't mean, mean financially richer. I just mean a richer society. Absolutely. You know, the script spelling bee um, happens every year. And um, the person who won is, a, is an American boy, but of South Asian heritage. I mean, he spelled this incredibly long word. I don't even know what it means or how to pronounce it. But one thing that immigrants bring is their labor, their brains. And if they have children, they give us their children who are now American citizens and who are contributing to the American, the fabric of American life through this little elementary school boy is going to, is a brain. He will go on to high school, he will go on to college, and he will contribute as an American of South Asian parents. And so immigrants bring in much, their money, their labor, their chutzpah, their energy, and their children, which is one of their best gifts. And to bring this home, we've talked about the problems, we've talked about solutions. Do you have any confidence that we will get this right in the near future, that there will kind of finally be this recognition that we need to look at this as an opportunity and not a problem? Or will the pull of cheap political points constantly get in the way and prevent? Because to me, that seems like the only thing really in the way. Because I think it seems like if you talk to many of the people that are the loudest about, you know, limiting immigration and all, from they understand that, well, we need people to come because, you know, we need these jobs. But I have an election coming up and this energizes my base if I say these people are are coming and you should be scared of them. Like, do you have any hope that we can get past that? Well, I'm an idealist rather than a cynic. And I would like to end by saying that I hope that both the politicians, but more importantly, the people they're talking to, that the people they're talking to look in the mirror and do some real research. Are immigrants taking jobs away at the Granite Square Mushroom Farm? Are immigrants taking away from the chicken poultry farm factory? What are we afraid of? Are immigrants really criminals? I would hope that um, Americans who vote just be a little more reflective and not rely just on, on fear. At some point, all of us, may, except maybe um, Native American populations, at some point we came from there. We came from Poland, from Germany, from Ireland, and we, are, we came here, but the only di- from another place. So the only difference between us and them is time. Maybe my great-great-great-great-grandfather came, off, came on the Mayflower. The boat hit a rock, and then they got off, and then I am like, you know, 100th generation, quote, in quotes, American. But at some point, all of us can mm-hmm. trace our heritage to another place. And with that same generosity of spirit that the Native Americans gave to our ancestors, how about we give it to, our, to, the, to the newcomers who are looking for a better job for themselves? They want to contribute. They want to open up a, a business. They want to work in a business. They're renting. They're contributing to the economy. So why not look at the positive aspects of immigration and try to dig deep into our fears of immigration? That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.